Simple Church. Let me hear you. Come on, y'all. One time. Come on. Man, that's good. 11 o'clock is alive and well, man. I am so thankful. So let's go ahead and practice. You ready? Last week, we learned a little phrase. On the count of three, let's say howdy, partner. You ready? One, two, three. Howdy, partner. Well, we know it's a church thing here at Simple Church. We kind of have a little fun with it. If you missed last week's message, go back and watch it. Because in our culture, there's these little phrases that we say, and it's also a big part of every movie and every television show that we watch and are a part of, this word partner. So I'm going to have a little more fun with it. Last week, artificial intelligence pulled all of these movie clips and put them together to help us find the word partner. So here is version number two. Watch. All right, partner. Tell me about the deal. Ned Logan, my old partner. I was talking to your partner over here. Right, partner. So maybe you just need someone watching your back, like a partner. Today I'm your partner, right? Yeah, thanks, partner. Yeah, that's right, partner. You're an excellent partner. We want to partner with you. It's all a machine, partner. I heard some rumors about you and your old partner. Even if we had a brilliant partner. You can be your new partner. But I can only do it if I have a partner. Nelson sent me. I'm your new partner. Right this way, partner. Yeah, come on, y'all. Put your hands together for a little fun flashback. We got Rambo in there and Die Hard. A lot of fun with it. But here is why I am so, so thankful that you're here. We're going to be extending this series for a couple of weeks, and it applies to all of us, because here is the big idea behind this series. We are better together, and I'm going to prove it today, and I need your help, because on our way in this morning, we got here early, they got a whole media team, I don't know if y'all know how this works, but computers run everything, all right? And so we, I depend on a lot of people backstage, every different direction to put all the clips together and make all this stuff happen. And when we got here this morning, someone stole all of our computers that make everything work. This is no joke. So you have to put your hands together because they pulled and <laughs> made everything happen without any computers that are in their disposal. Give them a little love this morning. Thank you, Chip, media team, everybody backstage. And if you're, pro you're, you're probably trying to figure out, like, are you serious? I'm like, I'm very serious. But don't worry, we have a great detective on it, the wolf over here. Man, he's on the playing guitar. He's also a Shreveport policeman. And he was like, dude, I didn't come here to work today. I came here to play. I was like, you got to go to work, son. Make it happen. So if you want to give to help us get some more computers, feel free to, all right? But seriously, we're trying to find those computers. But I am amazed every time at the skill and the ability of all of these men and women backstage that make it all happen because you really cannot do it. We are better together, and there is the proof this morning. So one more time, give them a little love. Let them know how thankful you are for you. Thankful. Now, not only are they able to pull off what seems impossible because we all work together to make it happen, I'm going to prove it by giving you some statistics and a study that I ran across recently. Uh, I don't know if you know my personal history, but I graduated from LSU Shreveport. Where my pilot love at? All right, where at that? It took me 10 years. Don't judge, all right? But I do have proof right there. Louisiana State University, Shreveport. My, wi I'm my wife, that's my mom and my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law. I can't even get it right. My brother and sister-in-law. It's been ten, a long, long time ago this happened. But it took me 10 years to graduate. Now, that's just to prove I'm not smart, all right? Here is a picture that I also got to get a little pumping it up and having a little fun with it. But I only talk about that because when you're trying to evaluate your life and you're trying to look back at what's going on, sometimes people are going, where are you getting all of this information from? Well, I'm not the smartest guy. That's the proof that I did graduate, though. But what is available is Internet. And you go, well, what's on the internet? Well, recently, listening to a podcast and looking at a little internet study, I ran across a study by another university, very well-respected, Harvard University. Now, obviously, I did not graduate from there, all right? But we did have a student that grew up in our student ministry that did, so I was aware of how respected they are for their academics and just so many great accomplishments. But this study that I ran across that they conducted, there's something special and unique about it. It's an 85-year study. It is, in fact, the longest study in American history. So here it is, an 85-year Harvard study found the number one thing that makes us happy in life, and it helps us to live longer. This is literally the world's longest study on happiness. 
It even created a book. Uh, the doctors that did this study and are part of this study wrote a book, and it's called The Good Life. I'll put it on the screen in case you want to go download that. But the whole concept fits perfectly with what we're talking about today. It's lessons from the world's longest scientific study on happiness. Now, before we move on and get into the details, let me ask you some really silly questions. Number one is, do you want to be happier? Go ahead and let me know that. Sound like four or five of you, all right? rest of you, you're kind of on the fence. But for the majority, we're all like, yeah, man, I don't mind being a little happier. Well, here's the second part of it that they were really studying is, do you want a more meaningful and satisfying life? Now, let me hear you if you want that, huh? Yeah. Well, of course you do. I mean, this is the idea that we're all in pursuit of. Even in the Constitution, right? It's this idea. We got to go, hey, listen, man, we the people. You know, all of our foundations are, we're going to come together and we all have the pursuit. We're on the pursuit of happiness and we're trying to be successful. And all of these great American ideas, this is who we are. This is what we're about. And now this is what made Harvard so special in this study. They started looking into, all right, look, if we're wanting to be, have a more meaningful life, a more successful life, if it's an American ideal that we all have this freedom and this right to do this, well, they went into and studied people in poverty and people in the culture that was a little more uppity, the rich folks as well. And they pulled all of these people together and have been studying them for eight decades, over eight decades. And in this study, they ran across people like this. This guy was a part of it. You may recognize him or not. Anybody know who that is? I'm like, hmm, looks familiar. Well, he was someone who became very successful. This would be Mr. John F. Kennedy, the president, former president of the United States. And you start thinking right now, it's like, he was a part of this study? Yes, as a young Harvard student, he was a part of this eight, over eight decades study. He's pretty successful, and Americans love success, and especially we celebrate it when it comes to from kids to adults. This is who we are. So this is why Harvard was so interested in the success and our happiness and trying to figure out all this stuff. Well, for all the grandparents and parents in here, this will be proof. Have you ever gone to an awards assembly for your kids? Go ahead and let me hear you if you've been there. Of course you have. Why do we go? It's because like, oh, we're so proud they brought up their grades or they had some big accomplishment, GPA, whatever it may be. In our culture, it's a big deal. If you've ever turned on the television, you've ever, I don't care if it's music, I don't care if it's in the movie world, but it's in the Super Bowl, we love success and we celebrate it. We give trophies out. It don't matter even if it's in your business, that you've, you know, great success in this field or that field, doesn't matter what it is. It is the way that we're wired. And our heroes in our culture typically really have overcome adversity to reach this level of success. And we celebrate that. For example, this little Instagram post right here is by a guy by the name of Tyler Perry. Medea, all right? So Tyler Perry puts this post out. And on my internet search, as I'm trying to figure out, I see this Harvard study. It's talking about happiness and success and meaningful lives. And then... As I'm walking through this, this comes up. This is an unusual post because this car right here is the car that Tyler Perry lived in when he was homeless. He bought it and put it back in front of his studio, his movie studio. And he said, so that every time I walk by this car, I'm reminded of where I've come from and not to forget where I've come from as I celebrate what has been accomplished. Now, if you don't know Tyler Perry, you don't know his success level, I pulled a video together for you because when you talk about celebrating someone who's gone from homelessness into what he's accomplished, this is going to blow your mind right here. Here is a little glimpse into Tyler Perry's life now. Watch. Tyler Perry. We already know him as a big-time Hollywood mogul, but now Tyler has cemented his status as a bona fide billionaire. You're, you're living your best life yeah, right now? Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. You could say Tyler looks like a billion bucks on the new cover of Forbes. The magazine estimates the mogul raked in more than $1.4 billion since 2005. Pretty inspiring, considering Tyler was once homeless. I felt like for many years I was running, 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 running from poverty, running, running, running. Now I'm just like, okay, you're okay. Settle in. Running from poverty? Man, I'm telling you, that thing had, was so traumatic for me growing up in it. I never wanted to even think about it again. And anybody who's been in it and lived it this way, mm -hmm. you'll get it. You're never far away enough from it. Never far enough away. 
the high school dropout credits a chance meeting with Oprah that changed everything. Oprah owning the Oprah Winfrey Show and, and understanding what that meant, that was very, very important to me. Ownership changes everything. He's produced more than 1,200 episodes of TV and 22 feature films, including the Medea franchise and Precious. His library of content is appraised at 320 million. Every penny is Tyler's, and all because early on he insisted he retain the rights. The soon-to-be 51-year-old owns his own studio in Atlanta worth an estimated 280 million. So this is the residence. It even has its own exact-to-scale replica of the White House for his BET series, the Oval. According to Forbes, Tyler owns a $60 million stake in BET. He has $300 million in cash and investments, $40 million worth of homes spread across four different states, oh, and two private jets to travel between them. But Tyler also makes sure to give back to the community. Tyler Perry paid for your grocery bill today. Are you kidding me? I'll never forget being in a grocery store in Atlanta trying to uh, pay for some food and couldn't pay for it. And there was a woman behind me who, who gave the, me the money to get the food that I needed. That little act of kindness felt made me feel like I could go on. So that's what those moments are about for me, just making people feel like they can go on. Come on, y'all, put your hands together, old Tyler Perry. Now, whether you know him, like him, that's not really the point. The real point is this guy was homeless, living in a car, and I don't know if you heard the billion dollars, 60 million, 380, I'm like going... Can you imagine? So in our culture, we're like, man, that's what I'm talking about. You're pushing for it. You're striving for it. You know, it's like, man, this is it. I'm, I'm going to try to make my million. I'm going to try to get where I'm going to go because that's kind of the way it is in America. But this is what was shocking. Go back to the Harvard study. After 85 years of research, they discovered this truth, that success does not lead to happiness. Now, you would kind of go, well, maybe that's kind of obvious, but, but then why are we working so hard? Why are you taking extra jobs? Why are you trying to get this degree, that degree? Why are you trying to make this much money, live in this house, buy that car? Whatever it is, because in our culture, there's this tension, and we kind of live in the tension. And so this idea that, hey, success doesn't lead to happiness, you're like, I don't know. Well, I showed a, a little snippet a couple of weeks ago from this next extended clip I'm going to show you now. Because in our culture, once again, we look to people, whether it's in sports or in music or in movies, television, whatever it is, and we're like, man, they're at a success level we'll never achieve, and they seem to be happier, and I, you know, there's something about it that's appealing to us. Now, you're going probably, not me, not me. Well, you're in the minority because the majority of Americans are like, that's pretty cool, or I like them, or I watch that. Well, what you don't see is the truthful side of that part of culture. And what I love about this extended clip, it gives you just a little more insight into the truth that you see in this statement is fleshed out when you hear right directly from the mouths of those who we many times admire. Watch. When How I Met Your Mother first went on the air, I ran into an actress that I uh, knew, and she said, are you just like so happy all the time? Why am I unhappy? Okay. Okay, sis. Stephanie Gaga hybrid person. Why are you unhappy? Why is it that you want to quit music? And I remember thinking like, oh, that sitcom's coming. Like that sitcom, it's coming, it's coming. And when I got it, I mean, I won't say it was a depression, but you kind of go through a disappointment because it can't, it, that fame or that thing didn't satisfy the way you thought it was gonna satisfy. I had bought into the not uncommon notion that when I taste success, when I get over there, then I'll be happy. But the strangest thing happened. As the show got more successful, I got more depressed. I thought it would be good to be rich and famous. It would be good to be the opposite of this. It would be good to have stuff. It would be good to have money. It would be good to be invited to the party. Well, I've been invited. I've been in. We're having this chat in a private Swish members club in East London. It's super cool. There's bare brick walls. Everyone's double good looking. But I've been inside now. I've seen the other side of the looking glass. It ain't worth it. It's not good. It don't feed your soul. I still feel empty inside. I had everything a man could want, even then. I had, I was a millionaire. I had a beautiful, beautiful women in my life. I had um, cars, a house, an incredible, uh, a solid gold career, and, and a future. 
and yet on a daily basis I wanted to commit suicide. As a Beatle, we made it and there was nothing to do. We had money, we had fame and there was no joy. The media told me every day, and it's telling you every day, what it is to be successful. So you've got MTV Cribs, you've got billionaires in front of your face, you have these, these extrinsic, external goals that will say, oh, Tom Shadiak has arrived. He has the right house, the right car, he flies privately. And when I got there, it was empty. I was successful in the music business, I was successful in modeling, in television, in real estate. So I made all this money and I had all this success. And here I was going, okay, I still don't feel any different. We are told that if we're beautiful, if we're skinny, if we're successful, famous, if we fit in, um, if everyone loves us, that we'll be happy. But uh, that's not entirely true. What I love about that little vignette of all of these celebrities, young, old, some familiar, some maybe not so familiar, they're struggling with this idea that, as I told you at the beginning, we're in this pursuit of. Man, if I can get this car, if I can have this house, if I can get to this retirement, or if I can, whatever it is. And Harvard studied for 85 years that over all of this time period, that success is not really the key. And there is just some of the proof. That, that video clip's not connected to the Harvard study. I found it separately, but I'm going, well, there you go. Now, if that's not enough, obviously, I'm not just here to give you culture to kind of tell you what's going on with the Harvard study. I want to draw you back to the most important part, which is that 85 years is a long time, but can you imagine thousands of years that this truth is there, but somehow we overlook it or underestimate it or really just don't pay attention to it. You go, what are you talking about? Well, look at Matthew, the book of Matthew. Jesus speaking, saying that this idea, 2,000 plus years old, it is worth nothing for you to have the whole world if you yourself are lost. You heard actor after actor, musician after musician, all these things. You're like, man, if I had what they had, if I could get this or if I could get that. And then you could put it back down at your level, whether it's the business, you own this business or get to this level or whatever it may be. You're like, no. You could never pay enough to buy back your life. So Jesus was throwing out this concept of going, hey, listen, your life is not just about what you think it's about, success and how much you own and all these different things. You know, that's not really what it's all about. Although in America, we make it, that is what it's about. So as we go into this week's study and I start listening to all of this different information, one thing that comes up as well that makes it difficult in our current society is social media. So let me go ahead and put this out there. The goal for all of us now is for you to evaluate your life, not your social media post. Now you go, Justin, what are you talking about? Well, here's the other thing that's confusing to young people, particularly if your parents in here, grandparents. Why they struggle in trying to find success is because they see all of these images posted. It makes them appear to be happy appear to be successful and so they get bought into this thing well i'm not as happy as them as i'm not as successful as them for example they'll show their travel pictures like we see and it's just like oh we're living the dream and everybody's posting and going well i can't go to disney or i can't go wherever this guy is he's sitting on his rock out in the middle of nowhere you're like oh that's awesome i'm a failure i gotta make more money i gotta push harder for this and then you see these posts you know like this couple oh we love our life and then you go well, are they really happy is this really what it's all about? Well, I'm not a big social media guy. My, I mean, the church does. They figure all that out. But I don't really know a lot about it. But just a little bit of an internet search. I didn't even know this existed, but I'll pull this up because when it comes to dating and stuff, did you know that there's a website you can go, I need the best quote to put in my social media post and they'll give it to you. So it's not even really real. I don't need to, no vacation, no fancy destination, baby. You'll migrate escape. Some of you, oh, that's beautiful. Well, somebody else wrote it. Thomas Rhett, pretty famous country music singer, right? But then they'll put it under their picture, and you're like, look how beautiful. Why, why am I married to you? Someone came up with this. And we compare ourselves. We're like, I'm not happy. I don't know why you don't look like this. And then what's really tripped out 
if this success and this pursuit of getting more and whatever it is, more money or a higher position or the next thing, then why when you look at our society as depression, anxiety, and isolation and loneliness higher than any other time? I can put the stats on the screen for you so it's just over and over and over again. You can look at the depression stats. You can look at the loneliness stats. It doesn't take long. We'll put up the next stat for you. It's talking about not just this generation, every generation, men, women, old, young. On my recent uh, trip to New York, me and Angie are coming back. We're in uh, Dallas, Love Field, and we're getting on a shuttle to go back to our hotel. While we're standing there waiting on the shuttle, the guy pulls up, and I'm grabbing our bags, and there's another young lady there. And so I grab her bag and say, hey, let me get your bag too. And we're putting them in the back of the, you know, the shuttle there. And they're getting on the, you know, the little bus and we all sit down. It's me and Angie and this one lady. We're the only, there's only three riders. And so I, because I'm messed up, I'm always talking to people. Angie's like, do you ever not talk to people? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, well, I'm just trying to find out. I said, hey, what, what's your story? What's going on with you? Whatever. She said, well, this is kind of crazy. She said, I hope I'm here to marry somebody like you. So I look at Angie, what's up? <laughs> She's a beautiful young lady, and she really says that. So Angie's kind of laughing like, and I said, oh, whatever. She's like, no, I'm from New York City. I have just flown down here, and I am hoping to find a gentleman, someone that I can spend my life with, with that's hospitable, that's kind. Because in New York, I hadn't found that yet. And I was like, time out. You mean to tell me you're moving from New York right now and you're moving to Dallas right now? She's like, yeah. I said, well, who do you know? She said, no one. I'm like, do what? She's like, I am so longing for this that I will leave everyone and everything that I know in New York to move to Dallas. And I'm like, hey, you need my wife's phone number. <laughs> She was like, why? And I was like, I'm serious. Like, we have friends in Frisco. We have a campus over there. There are people that watch. We have relationships. You could get in a bind. You're going to need some other people. And she was just like, oh, thank you. So we get out at the hotel. She's literally, Angie and her, exchanging numbers. And we're hugging, praying for her. Because then eventually she's like, you're a pastor. And I'm like, sorry, I know it. It just, you know, it's not always attractive. You know what I'm saying? But remember, I loaded your bag and you wanted to marry me. Remember that just a minute ago. <laughs> But as we're walking through all this, I'm sitting here thinking, like, would my daughters just hop on a plane by themselves and fly to a city they know no one in? I don't think so. What I want them to? I don't think so. But then I start thinking, this is the generation that's like, man, I need something. I need a relationship. I need success. And I'm thinking, Wow. And so as we're beginning to talk, and me and Angie are unwinding and kind of processing all this, and we start thinking about this generation, and you know this to be true. In this push for success, she had neglected her personal life. She was like, okay, now I'm kind of successful. I have enough money. I can live anywhere. I'm going to now look for these relationships. And then if you were to ask her what's going on, she's like, well, this generation also believes they're the most stressed ever. You know how this is. Often they'll tell you, you know, you don't know how hard it is, boomer. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if y'all know what boomer is, but that's like the generation before me. I'm Gen Z, so they're the older generation. And so they're like, you just don't understand. This generation, there's a lot of pressures, and we're trying to succeed in relationships and career and blah, blah, blah. Then I go back to the study for 85 years, the Harvard study that have studied people and success and the pursuit of success and happiness and a meaningful life. And I also would like to remind all of us, including my kids and the younger generations behind us, of this generation. You may recognize this picture. As I put it on the screen, this is the Great Depression. This study was during the Great Depression. Started way back when. It understands that there are highs and lows in society. So as they start trying to figure out what makes people happy... What gives them a meaningful life? They're also looking at a generation that was in a pretty tough sit situation. And then as we start looking at what's going on in our current world, we get a little worried and freaked out. And think, man, how can we be happy when there's a potential war or China and Taiwan and everything's going to Ukraine? Well, let me also take you back because in the 40s, there was another crisis going on. Pretty big crisis. 
So the reason this Harvard study is so important is it's going, look, we're looking over 85 years of American culture and society. And just to lighten it up a little bit, when kids are talking about it's so hard to date now and you don't understand, they didn't date in the 80s. Can I get an amen? Because they don't even understand that when you had the long phone cord, you had to go outside so nobody could hear y'all. Do y'all remember that? Yeah, like one person like, oh yeah. And then it was like, I don't want my brother hearing it, so you had to just stretch the cord out. So then I went back, like there it is right there. So look at that long cord. And I'm laughing now, y'all, y'all can talk, you're constantly talking to each other. Back then we were like, uh, hopefully I can catch your cell phone, I mean your, your call when it comes to my house and I'll get on my cord and phone. Because every generation, this is why I really process this as we look over this study. Life is tough for every generation. There's struggles, there's ups and there's downs. So that's why I love this 185-year study. But then also in this study, they discovered this, that we're living longer than ever. If you were a man in the 1930s, you know your life expectancy? 58 years. I mean, it's only got five years left if I live in the 30s. Women, it was 62 Today, it's 82 for men and 85 for women. So if we are living longer, and if we're trying to figure out how to be successful, we're trying to navigate, man, the uncertainty of this generation, what really is the key to a great life? This is what they were studying, and this is what they were trying to figure out. And here is Harvard's answer after 85 years of studying. You ready? Relationships are the key to healthy human thriving now here is the irony of all irony for over 2,000 years God's word has been telling us that so it took Harvard to kind of look at it and there's books being written and people are kind of catching some traction on it going listen man relationships are a big deal relationships are a big deal God's been saying this for a long time you can go all the way back to the beginning of scripture Genesis 2 what did he say the Lord said it is not good for man to live alone why is this young lady traveling from New York to Dallas? She's like, man, I do not want to be alone. There's something built inside of us that this is a God thing. It's not just a Harvard thing. That's why I keep telling you, you can learn from what Harvard's saying. And it definitely applies because there's a lot of data and evidence that proves it. But beyond that, you have to know that it's not just a Harvard study. It's God's word saying, listen, I will make a suitable, there's that word, partner for you. You cannot do this life alone. It's not good. You've heard that before. But if I were to take you from Scripture and take you back to the Harbor study, wait till you see what they discovered. But if you looked carefully, this is a quote, but if you looked carefully at hundreds of studies, you would find a connection between social disconnection or loneliness and either death or physical health. That is of the same magnitude as smoking or obesity. Now, time out. What are they saying? It is saying that when you pull away from relationships and you get to a place where you think you don't need people, it has the same negative effects on your life as being obese and smoking that Marlboro, son. So I'm starting to think like, this is pretty crazy. So not only has God told us it's not good, he's proven it now going, listen, it will actually ruin your health. Those are two of the major public health concerns. We know that, man, you shouldn't smoke. You don't need to be overeating. But then this is the ending quote. So, yeah, the path forward is improving our relationships. And then somehow, someway, we're on the pursuit of success for more stuff, another position, whatever it is, more money. And we ignore the very thing that Scripture has said for a long, long time. And now here's Harvard, 85 years of American culture going, hey, man, if there is one thing we have learned, if you want to be happier, if you want to live longer, if you want to increase your lifespan, if you want to have a better life, develop good relationships. If you need to increase your life in any capacity, you have to look at the quality of your relationships. So just like when you go to work out and you get physical and fit, you're like, hey, what's going on? He is also saying, the study is saying, you also have to work on your social disciplines. It's not always easy to get up and work out, to not, you know, eat the dessert. But when you do, you get better. You get in better shape. You feel better. We say in the same way, you don't always want to come to church. This is why I'm super grateful you're here today. I'm super grateful that you watch online because for some of you, that's the step to finally go, man, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm just not quite there yet. 
But every time you do that, develop that discipline, something happens good inside of you. It is a health benefit for you. It extends your life. It gives you a better life. And how I know this personally is my life group. When I go to my life group and I leave, I always feel better when I leave. Now you go, always? Yes, and I'm with a bunch of sinners, but I always feel better. We always joke with it, we cut up, but this, just this last, I think, not this week, but the week before, going through some difficult stuff, there's only, we had our uh, student ministry uh, dinner, and we met afterwards, and there's only four of us, usually there's like 11 or 12, but there's only four that night, but we spent time together, and I listened to the stories, and people were sharing their stuff, and then one of the guys texted me later, he's like, man, this life group is fulfilling something to me that I never know that I needed. But man, do I feel better. And I was like, man, you're not the only one, dude. I'm in it for me too. And I ain't in it just for you. I'm in it for me. And when you start looking back at Scripture, here's the thing. This is the principle that the study really revealed. Hebrews 10. We should think about each other to see how we can encourage each other to show love and to do good works. Now, we don't always do it right. You don't do it right. I don't do it right. But the goal of you coming in here, where do we get the do good from? This is this is it. What about encourage each other? What about showing each other love? Thinking about, hey man, where you at? Miss you. What's going to go on? You've got choices. Nobody has to go. You don't have to do it. But when you do, if you discipline yourself and you find that niche, you go, man, there's something unique happening that's better. Continues on when it leads to this next part. We must not quit meeting together. See, they were just like us. It's like, man, I don't know if I got time to do that. I got this other thing going on. I got to make this happen. He's like, no, no, don't quit meeting together. This is why, like, everybody quoted this during COVID, and they're like, oh, you, I get it. But now there ain't that restriction. There's really not those things going on, and some people still haven't made the commitment. They're like, oh, I'm struggling. I don't know what's going on. And I get it because we're a busy society pushing for success for our kids, pushing for success for our families, and we're exhausted. And then you come back and go, man, I don't know why things are the way they are. And he's going, listen, don't quit meeting together because you need that encouragement from each other. And this becomes more and more important. This is what thousands of years ago this is written. As we see the day getting closer, you're like, what day getting closer? What are you talking about? Well, specifically, he's talking about Jesus' return, but I'd also like to add in the day that you may go home to see Jesus. So the closer you get to seeing Jesus, the closer we get to his return, the more important it is to develop quality relationships. And here's the good news. It is never too late to start. I am super grateful for all of those. I saw Sean Birch walking in here and John Rennie and all these great, Jonah Boaz. They do all these great things for our kids to give them a chance to meet, to gather up, to develop that benefit. And I see that when they leave. When my kids leave, they're always like, there's something that just pumps them up. It gives them a little bit of encouragement. No, they're not, they're not alone. They're going to make it through. And that's super important when you're young. So if you've never tried student ministry, you don't know, just give it a shot. Let, let your kids figure out that and go, man, look, it's not perfect. They ain't got all the answers, but just try it. But here's the irony. As you get older, that need doesn't decrease. You still need these people to go, you know what, man? It's never too late to start to go, hey, listen, I'm in a life group. So when we tell our kids we're going to life group, they're always like, well, I guess I should be going to life. Yeah, you should. Because it's going to help your life. It's going to help you live longer. And it's going to help you be more fulfilled than anything else. 85 years of a study in Harvard, if you're not very spiritual. But if I try to pull you to spiritual or, or lean you into spiritual, God's Word's been saying it for thousands of years. And here's what's really kind of cool and tripped out. Your latter years can be your happiest. So when some of you are going, man, I missed it. I don't know if I... No, 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 no. You still got opportunities, man. You, listen, you just breathe, all right? You feel your heart beating. You got an opportunity. You, I've never done it before. It's not too late. Try it. And you go, well, why? Well, if you need physical evidence, one thing I try to do in the simple church, I try to give you the scripture, but I try to put it in a context to show you that it's real, that it really does work. So when you come in, I don't want to waste your time, but I want to try to pull in all of these things in society to go, let me show you what's going on in our world, show you through video clips, show you through different things, you know, study, whatever it is, to, to prove to you, to show you that God's word is true. In this next video, I don't know if you can get better evidence, 
that it's not too late and the power of relationships. Listen to what this man says when he finally finds a relationship. And it's an unusual relationship. I've played the clips before, but it's a little update on where this relationship has gone and what's happened. And when I told you that until it's too late, you need to be working on this, there's a great example, a great example. And I hope it speaks to you the way it has to me. Watch. Dan Peterson was late for his own memorial service. Four years late. According to his brother, Jesse, Dan was ready to die back in 2016. And some little girl who was four years old said, hi, old person. <laughs> that little giver of life was Nora Wood. Nora met Dan during his darkest days. As we first reported in November of 2016, Dan's wife had just died. He was severely depressed and out grocery shopping for himself here in Augusta, Georgia, when Nora spotted him. As you can see on the security footage, she just randomly reached out to this total stranger and then had the audacity to demand a hug. I said, a hug? I said, absolutely. <laughs> Nora got her hug and then asked her mom, Tara, to take a picture of her with her new friend. And his little lip quivered and he was teared up and it was just sweet. And I said, you don't know, this is the first time for quite a while that I've been as happy. After we first told this story, we thought for sure the love would fade. But Nora and Dan saw each other at least once a week. He was there for her kindergarten graduation. How about that? And she was there to stroll his garden. These are all tomatoes. And of course, there were countless hugs along the way. It was the first thing she did when we walked in. It was the last thing she did when we left. This was Nora's final visit with her sister Marigold the day before Dan died. No story I've ever told has resonated as deeply as this one. Over the years, Dan got thousands of letters from around the world, and now the condolences are pouring in for Nora. And you can't help but wonder why, with so much else going on in the world. I think it was just humanity at its best to love and to be loved. A prescription for happiness that will get us through anything. Steve Hartman, On the Road, in Augusta, Georgia. Come on, y'all. <laughs> Humanity at its best. You heard Dan say it. I hadn't been this happy in a long time. Last week, I left the service. We went to Olive Garden to eat with my life group. and We look over to the left, and I see a couple of families sitting over there eating. And I wrote down to say this in the message, serve together and eat together. Now, why would I say serve together and eat together? Well, because of this next guy. His name is Glenn. And Glenn serves with toddlers here at the church. And he's with his wife. They're with the posies and they're laughing and cutting up and eating. And all they do is serve toddlers. And their relationship was based on those people in that room. And then Glenn had a heart surgery, and guess who sent him love and get well wishes and prayers? All those toddlers. And what I'm trying to tell you is just like I was bragging on the student ministry people, it goes all the way to the youngest age. We've talked about babies before, but maybe you're an adult that needs some love. Maybe serving in toddlers is the prescription. Because this story is a real story. And if you need another reason to serve in toddlers, you get beer and fries. Why else would you not go there? <laughs> Just kidding. That's when, we're at, that's when we're at Brooks' Grocery Arena. When I saw that picture, I was like, this is perfect right there. Perfect. <laughs> the study showed that while you're feeling lonely, this is interesting. It's like feeling hungry. And the good news is, is you can do something about it. Harvard said when they looked at the way people are, I, I think about Glenn, they chose to go love on kids and it fulfilled something deep inside of them that brought a smile to their face and I could hear it at their table and they didn't even know I was listening. 
When right now, if you're hungry, you go, man, right now I'm hurrying. Let's go, Justin. We want to eat. Why? Because you know you can go do something. We're going to go out to eat. You go to the kitchen. You make a sandwich, whatever. You don't just sit and watch the food network. You're like, man, I'm starving. But look at all that food on there. No, eventually you go and participate in the eating of that food. Well, in the same way, this is why when you are lonely, when you're wanting something more, it's a big deal when you come to church. Because it's not a perfect situation, but God has blessed it in the sense that that's why I get to hug you in the hall and say hi to you and saw these beautiful babies and all these families. It fills me up. It is selfish for me. That's why I'm thankful you're here. I know you're watching online, and I'm so thankful you watch online. But when you can, if you get an opportunity, even our friends in North Dallas are coming over on March 19th when we do this big Do Good Duck Day to help with childhood cancer. They're like, man, we want to see everybody. I want to be able to hug everybody. I want to be able to see everybody. Why? When you come to church, something happens. When you join the life groups, there's something unique and special about that. When you serve, there's something that God does in those moments. Because church really is about relationships. It's not about the music, although music comes and goes and it's changed. In my 30 years, it's been all over the map. It used to be piano and organ, then it was drums and whatever else. Preaching styles come and go. Preachers come and go. You may, oh, I love this style. I love that style. All that stuff comes and goes. But I can tell you. What really makes it what it is all about is the people and the relationships. I pulled a picture from some of those in my family. St. Andre, church family, man, I'm telling you, I wouldn't be who I am without Coach St. Andre. And this is a Catholic guy. There's like, oh my gosh, he's Catholic. He'll never go to church. Coach, don't ever miss. He's always here. And he loved on me and helped me when I was in college. And that was part of my 10-year career. I wouldn't have got out without Coach St. Andre. This guy down the bottom, you're like, well, who is this guy? Man, I don't even know. I'm at Walmart there, and he goes, Pastor, Pastor. And I'm like, what's going on? He's like, I watch you every week. Take picture with me. <laughs> and I'm like, man, come here. I'm going to put you on the service. I'm going to put you on there. He's like, oh, this is so great, man. Thank you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for doing my family. I'm going, even the online audience, they're a part of it. I'm like, man, thank you for stopping me. Thank you for saying something to me. And that's why I'm like, man, let's take our picture. Some of my great friends in the room right now, I'm wearing my Bobby shirt today because we went to Juarez with our family. And while we're down there, you're talking about living a great story? It's the adventure. It is the relationships. It's the people. And I am forever grateful that David and you and your family have come now. And Julie, you're in. Zoe's here. I'm going back through all these different things. Saw Joey here today. I'm like, this is what it's about. It's about relationships. And I'm thinking, what if you don't? Now, for a lot of you that don't know, I was bragging on all this behind the scenes too. This is Hannah and Jennifer. Hannah powders my forehead every Sunday so you're not blinded by this nine head I have up here, all right? But every Sunday, Hannah's here. We get hugs. Jen's in my ear telling me, hurry, you're behind. You got to get going. Things going on. To love on us, to encourage. I'm going, there's so many people that make it what it is. And these are people in my life. And there's all the sinners. If you want to know my life group, there's the sinner list, right? Including Pud. He's barely in there. But that's all of us. Just about. Still a few guys missing even from that picture. But this is what I'm telling you. You don't understand how important it is until you don't have it. And some of you are trying to figure that out. And they've studied in Harvard. And we know in God's Word it's true. But let me bring you back to God's Word. Ephesians Chapter 2, you, you're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. This is what I love when you're an outsider and you don't really go, man, I don't know if I fit in or not. No, all are welcome. And God is building a home. And guess what? He's using us all. Everyone has a part in that. We see it taking shape every day, day after day. A holy temple being built by God. Me and my brother, we were going to Dallas this week, and they're going to Jerusalem uh, in Israel this summer. I mean, yeah, in just a few months. And they were talking about, Teresa's like, man, the temple's being built. This is so awesome. Let me tell you something. That is cool. But it ain't near as cool as this temple that's being built right here. Because it's not about a physical building. It's not about where we meet. It is about the people that build it up. And all of us are built into it. A temple in which God is quite at home. He gets most joy when we come together and we meet each other's needs. Whether it's the smallest kids, the teenagers, the old people. Whoever we are, we're going to do this is us. And next week, we're going to do a partner party. And you go, well, what's a partner party? It's just a chance if you're trying to figure out whether you fit in. We want you to come and be a part of it because you know what? Every one of you have a part to play. 
And the church is better when you find your niche, when you find your relationships, when you find a place to serve, when you find a place to be loved on, when you're going through a difficult time. You cannot do it alone. So when we all do our part, this world is a better place. This church is a better place. This community is a better place. We go, well, what's my part, Justin? Show love, be kind, remember that all people matter. Take time to encourage, take time to love on. Again, I can't thank you enough because many of you do it for me. I saw the Bryce Crosshair coming in. I just want you to know you're one of those families that do that for me. Sometimes it's fudge. It makes me fat, but I still like it, all right, because they're going, hey, I brought you some fudge today, and I keep eating it. Why? Because you're saying, hey, I love you, praying for you. So when you needed something, if a kid needed to meet something, they were like, hey, Justin wants to meet. I'm going to meet with them. Why? Because I'm better as a result. You're better as a result. We are better together. Relationships matter. I saw my cousin here today. Jeff, I'm so thankful that you're here. You could quit. You could turn your back. I'm thankful you found Debbie. I'm thankful that y'all come to church. And why do I bring up certain names? Because listen, I know how big a deal it is. I know that you may not have always made a priority. You may not have always had the stories. But let me tell you something. You can't do it by yourself. We need each other. We need all of us to come together and go, don't forget your value and your worth. And you know, Christmas, Easter's coming up around the corner. We're going to need more volunteers. We got thousands of people that will come to church for one day. You need to be loving kids and greeting people and making all Why? Because maybe, just maybe, somebody finds a relationship that they desperately needed. And I believe that that starts with Jesus. And how they get to Jesus is through us, the way we treat them, all people. And when the church is known for so what we're against and we're standing up, we don't listen to this and we're not with that, I pray that what we're known for is the way that we love and the way that we sacrifice. And when people look back, they're like, man, there's something different in that group. I got one more video before you leave to prove that it matters the way you treat people and the things that we do. And sometimes when they don't fit into the box that you maybe think that they should fit into, just remember Jesus loved all people from the entire world. And when all this happens, he stretches us. But watch how much better we are as a society, as a group of people, even as friends. When you go, all right, I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity to love on somebody in a tangible way. Watch. I really like this one. For Ida Zhugai of Boston, Massachusetts, no matter what shows up under the tree this year, she says no present will ever compare to a gift she got back in 1999 oh, yeah, on one of the scariest days of her life. Civil war was raging in Yugoslavia, bombs closing in on her family. So Ida's parents put their 11-year-old daughter and her sister on a plane to the U.S. by themselves. Ida vividly remembers the fear, but remembers just as well the comforting stranger seated next to her, an American. I remember how kind she was to us, you know, treating us like her family. So it was a bit of a shock, to be honest. Especially when she handed you the envelope? Yeah, I couldn't believe that somebody had so much empathy. The outside of the envelope read in part, I hope your stay in America will be a safe and happy one. Signed, a friend from the plane, Tracy. And when Ida opened it, she found a $100 bill inside. Ida and her sister moved in with a relative who didn't have too much more than they did. So that $100 bill fed the family for three months. And Ida says it continues to feed her soul to this very day. That's why I actually kept Tracy's letter, because uh, it's a reminder to me that people are good. It has also been a main driver in her life. Ida owns two businesses that promote environmental and social justice. The reason why I do what I do is because of Tracy. Every decision that I made had to do with paying it forward. I was wondering if you can help me find Tracy. A few years ago, Ida put word out on social media hoping to find the woman who gave her life direction. She spent years searching, until not long ago, when her message finally got through to Tracy Peck of Blaine, Minnesota. <laughs> Tracy, Ida, and her sister Vanya reunited last weekend. We just stood there and hugged and cried, and I just felt such a deep love for them. I can't wait to come to your wedding. Tracy Peck gave away $100 to total strangers, but she says the gift she has gotten in return is far more precious. 
They've taught me the slightest thing that you can do for someone, you don't realize what impact that's going to have on their life. We have no idea. But if you're lucky, maybe someday you will. Come on, yeah, you clap now. That's awesome. As we get ready to walk out of here, this is my thought, all right? I know some of you are trying to figure it out. If you want to partner, come next Sunday. It'll be during this hour, so you have to come early, and then we're going to do partner party upstairs for the late hour. I will still do an early service, and then we'll still show it in the late hour, and there'll still be a live communicator as well, so we're going to do both. But if you're wanting to partner next Sunday or today, you need to sign up on the app. If you want to volunteer, if you want to serve in the baby's room, the toddler room, teenagers, let us know because you never know what that really means and how that's going to help. But if you want to be a part of a life group, it's possible today. Take the step. I'm going to, me and Adrian are going to be in the tennis life group starting every other Friday night coming up in March. So just starting something fun, man. Play some tennis. We'll be out there. I'll whoop you on the court. I ain't going to hold it against you. Just come on. Let me whoop you. You know, just kidding. That's a joke. But here's the point. Don't just sit there in the dark. Take a step. Take a step. Father, I thank you so much for everybody watching, for everybody being here. I thank you for those that have served, that have sacrificed, that have given. For those that are on the fence trying to figure out what they should do, let today be a day that they remember, hey, man, I need to move. If I want to have a happier life, a more meaningful life, I need to get other people in my life that can encourage and help. Maybe it's me serving. Maybe it's me joining a life group. Whatever it may be, I pray, God, as they navigate all that, that they would not miss the most important relationship is with you. For thousands of years, Jesus, you've told us what it really comes down to is loving you and loving other people. Everything hinges on those two things, Lord. And if they don't have a relationship with you, it's almost impossible to love others. So, Lord, if they need you, I pray they say, Jesus, come into my life. I need a fresh start. I need a new beginning. I need to be changed. And you promise, Jesus, that if we'll admit that we're a sinner, and I am, Jesus, I have messed up. Forgive me. Come into my life and change me. You say you'll meet them right there. And then you tell us that you've given us gifts and abilities that we're better together. Lord, help them to take that next step, to be a part of a life group, be a part of serving, be a part of a church so that we all can benefit from that. And we can not only change this community, we can change the world. I thank you, Jesus, for who you are and I ask you to just bless them and encourage them as they leave today, knowing what a value it is that I got to see them and be a part of their life today, whether that's through video or whether that's in person in this room. In Jesus' name.